On this episode of Wild in the Streets, Ray Lovelock and Mark Perel are members of an elite squad of cops tracking down a master criminal in Ruggiero Diodato's Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, Comenciano. Welcome to Wild in the Streets, a deep dive into the Eurocrime films of the 1970s and beyond. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the dog, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I mean, I've been better, Doug, but I'm not that bad. Hey, Liam, why don't you give us a little bit more detail about why you've been better? <laughs> uh, okay. Hey, guys. This is round two. We're doing round two on this episode because we did a whole episode, and it was really good, and I feel like we both said lots of smart stuff, and I didn't record it. So there you go. That's my public <laughs> apology to everyone that we just started talking, and I forgot to hit record. And that's you know that's not a good move, Doug. I, I don't know how many people Look, out there have podcasts I don't, You don't need to prostrate yourself in front of me, even though I do appreciate it. But I, I do suggest a post-it note. <laughs> Well, it's not even – it's – well, whatever. We don't need to get into it. But we, the, well, Let's not get into it. Usually, in fact, usually I start – as soon as we start talking, I go ahead and hit record so I don't make that mistake. Yeah, and because pers- it's not like it's ever happened before. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 Doug. Hey, Doug. Rough, mm-hmm. rough. <laughs> Liam is the dog on this episode of Wild in the Streets where we're going to be talking about – Live like a cop, die like a man. And one of the things we could have talked about in this opening segment is some of the great titles, movie titles out there. Because when I told people I was watching the movie Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, all I heard on Twitter was, that's the most amazing title I've ever heard. When when I hear it, I think of a Troy McClure movie because it, it's so ridiculous. Uh, Liam, the original title of Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man was Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Cop. Do you have a preference between those two? Uh, well, I think the the original makes more sense, but there's something striking about the the disconnect between live like a cop, die like a man. Even if if you really think about it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It <laughs> it, it it does though fit something I realized. You know, pe- people who listen to the show will remember that I talked about this movie previously because I had kind of skimmed it. I'd watched sections. You talked of about it. this movie previously. How odd! Stop. <laughs> Let's come on. On a previous episode, we talked about it because I had skimmed portions of it because we were going to screen. Uh, we did a screening on Twitch, and I thought about <laughs> doing this movie. So I kind of like skimmed through almost the whole movie. And when you skim a movie, Doug, you don't get the tone of the movie. Right. And so on this watch, I kind of think the title actually works in the sense that it might be making fun of the titles of a number of these movies. Though, Maybe so. Though long titles seem to be a common Italian thing. I, I recently on Harvest has discussed a movie called uh, The Police Are Stumble or Bumbling Around in the Dark or something like that. <laughs> and uh, that's just a giallo that I think wants to pretend to be a polizietecci because it's it, it it didn't make any money. People, he they wanted it to make money, and it, it didn't work. But you know. I mean, I guess there is some crossover. You know, there's there's in some of the jolly there's there are police uh, investigating, and it makes sense that there'd be some crossover between the genres. But certainly, yeah, those those elaborate titles tend to be in the giallo films rather than well i mean i'm sure there's some in in the police but a lot of the movies that we've covered so far have kind of pretty simplistic titles 
I think that's mostly true, like a contraband or an almost human. But yeah, uh, but there was there was one that had Milan in the title that was pretty long. Like, didn't we cover one that was like the robbers on the streets of Milan or some shit like that? (laughs) I just like the idea. We can't even remember what we've watched on this podcast. Liam, we're here today to talk about Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. But before that, this movie that we're going to be covering today is sort of, I mean, very much so, really, a buddy cop movie. It's about two cops who love each other uh, to a very great extent, which we'll get into some detail on that as well. So I wanted to explore that idea in this opening segment about what are some of your favorite buddy cop movies? It's a genre that has a long history, but probably was established most strongly in the 1980s with films like Lethal Weapon and 48 Hours. What are some buddy cop movies that you particularly enjoy? I mean, I uh, I feel a little bit like I've, I've deconstructed the question too much because uh, Doug was nice enough to share a list with me so I'd have something to pull from. I'm really bad. I actually didn't even share it. I just told you that I was using it. Yeah, and I looked, like, I looked for I'm it I'm going to go find yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, here's the thing, guys. I'm bad at pulling stuff out of my memory banks. You know, your, what's your favorite specific genre movie? I, I can't get anything. My brain just refuses to participate. So I'm looking at this list. And like, yeah, I think so. For example, 48 Hours is a great, I think, uh, template for the genre, even if both characters are not necessarily police officers. Yeah. And that's important, by the way. Buddy cop movies do not necessarily have to have any cops in them. (laughs) They just need to be buddies, you know, working together on some sort of case. But some of these movies are really pushing the boundaries of the genre, whether that's like, you know, a, a, a movie uh, like Split Second where they're not buddies, right? Like they, they aren't friends. So I don't understand that fitting in. Or, you know, other movies where neither character is a cop. It's, it's It has nothing to do with police. That kind of pushes the genre. The one that really bums me out that's on this list, its inclusion on this list, is the movie Colors, uh, which like is not funny at all. And I kind of think buddy cop movies should have some element of humor to them though maybe not maybe i'm being a bit weird on that and what's not on this list is who's the man the ed lover dr dre movie which i think Mm. is funny and they are buddies and they are cops uh but based upon what's on this list i mean the most obvious answer for me is 48 hours even though they're not both police officers if we're going with both police officers you know i I don't like Mel Gibson. I don't think we should reclaim Mel Gibson from whatever jail he was He's in. He's back, now. buddy. Yeah, Everyone loves it. Mel Gibson now. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> uh, but Lethal Weapon is a very much a classic movie and, and one that I still mostly enjoy, I think. Uh, but if we're, if we're going to talk about canceled people who made good buddy cop movies, I hate to say it. But uh, Hickey and Boggs is like one of my favorites. And I didn't even know that Bill Cosby did gritty cop movies but he did unfortunately that man is a monster so you know i i cannot in good who bill cosby yeah it turns out he's the worst so <laughs> what did, what did he do don't come on <laughs> sorry i don't mean to make light of it he obviously is one of the worst human beings to ever live on this planet but yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah but, but yeah, it seems I, like you are drawn towards movies with terrible people well, that's that is that is fair. I mean, you know, uh, one of the movies on this list that I know because this is the second time we're doing the episode you were going to mention <laughs> was the Nice Guys, and uh, I love that movie, and I love the people in that movie, and I don't think either one of them is terrible. I think I could be wrong about that. Actually, why did why did you just bring it up after we were talking about terrible people? <laughs> just to say, like, that I don't just love movies with terrible people. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you ever, I, you ever you ever see that movie Showdown in Little Tokyo? Oh, you know what? I just saw that this was that was on this list. I actually like this movie. Yeah, it's good. Um, again, is it? Are they both cops? I don't remember if they're both cops. 
Well, who cares? They don't have to be both cops. I thought you know that what was I'm something saying, we've you know already established. I was trying to, I was trying to pick one that was both cops and one that wasn't. If I'm picking one where they're not, it's still going to be forty eight. Who who gave you these rules to follow, Liam? <laughs> I wasn't. I just set them up. For, I wanted to give two examples of one that was just cops and one that wasn't just cops. I mean, bad uh, boys, both cops. Yeah, I'm kind of. I'm kind of. I, I don't know. I, I think the Bad Boys movies are both of them one and two are fun, but I don't care about them the same way. I you mean, said both of them when there's a third already and a fourth coming. <laughs> oh, I didn't ever. Yeah, I don't know about the other ones. Uh, I mean, we could lift up if we're talking about offbeat ones, Turner and Hooch, which is a silly movie, but it's kind of fun. And I like that one of the two buddies is a is a dog. That's that's right. Cool. And and you like you like Turner and Hooch and Tango and Cash. Those are your two favorites. You know, I don't remember Tango and Cash. You know, got Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, for some reason, I just don't remember if I like it or not. I mean, we could then talk about Nighthawks, right? Like that's another uh, who's who's his buddy it? then? Who's Sylvester Stallone's buddy in that movie? Is that Pacino? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> who's in Nighthawks? I forget. Uh, Rucker Hauer is the villain in that. I don't believe no, it's a buddy cop other... movie. Yeah, there's two cops. Oh, I don't know. I, I thought that. I, I, I think I've only wrong. ever seen clips from it from Terror in the Isles. Uh, uh, so, no, no, no. I, I, ha- I have seen it. It's a movie I like a lot. You know what's not on this list, too, that should be? Is The Hidden. That's another. Yeah. If we're going with one. serious, not funny buddy cop movies, that's a buddy cop movie. Yeah, that is some humor in it, too. And Alienation is on the list. So you think yeah, that. Sure, you know. sure, 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 sure. So obviously, uh, Shane Black is the king of these kind of buddy comedies, writer of Lethal Weapon and creator of The Last Boy Scout, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is a great example, even though, again, they're not. Uh, they're neither of them are cops in that, and of course, the nice guys, as you already mentioned, which I absolutely love. Um, I, something about that movie, it's, you know, there's a few of the themes in Shane Black movies that I feel are questionable, but I find them so entertaining and so funny. Both Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and the Nice Guys, very much worth your time, Liam. And I'm just going to come down solidly on the side of those movies, uh, not getting in the weeds like you are in regards to what is and isn't a buddy cop movie. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. I appreciate that. Seven is a buddy cop movie, Liam. That's not on this list, but it is on one of the lists, and it made me so bad. Again, not because they're not cops, but, uh, you know, again, I'm being silly about this, but it just feels to me like a buddy cop movie should have some, like, some kind of humor in it. Something, whatever. Oh, my God. Nighthawks is fucking, um, um... Sorry, yeah. sorry, 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 sorry. Please. Billy D. Williams. I'm oh. such an asshole. I couldn't remember who it was, and it's fucking Billy D. Williams and Sylvester Stallone. What a jerk off I am. I apologize to the world for that one. Billy D. Williams also in the movie Number One with a Bullet with Robert Carradine, another buddy cop movie. Oh, right. I forgot about that one. Yay. Just just added to Tubi if people want to check that out right now. Liam, for this podcast, we've been using Roberto Curti's book, Italian Crime Filmography, as sort of a Bible for it. It has a really interesting write-up on Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. I just want to read a little bit of it here because it makes a really interesting point. And also, it kind of reinforces what we are going to take away from this movie, which is that it has a kind of a satirical edge, and we think that it's likely intentional. It was written by uh, a stalwart in the genre, Fernando DeLeo. It says here, DeLeo brings to paradoxical extremes the moral and political ambiguity that forms the basis of the Polizioteschi. What's more, he actually overthrows its premises, asking viewers, or rather challenging them, to take sides with two heroes, quote-unquote, who kill with a worrying, chilling ease without the alibi of social commitment or the spectacularization of everyday violence that's innate within most crime stories. 
Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man is a thought-provoking dismantling of the genre and its vital mechanics. If one of Policioteski's vital rules was to justify the hero's resort to violence, as with the exemplary flashbacks that showed his beloved wife or brother or child being killed, here DeLeo does the exact opposite. Obviously, the two leads don't care one bit about law and justice. Their boss tells them they have been chosen for their tendency to violence. They just enjoy killing, shooting, destroying, always with a smile on their face. A childish yet uneasy smile that recalls that of the schoolboys in Naked Violence or Alex's smile in A Clockwork Orange. He then goes on to discuss the idea that like the main characters in this movie, who we're supposed to like, who are smirking the entire time, who are cops, that they're like the Droogs at the end of A Clockwork Orange who have now gone straight, quote-unquote, because they become police officers but are just using those positions to engage in the same sort of fascistic violence that they were doing when they were just gang members. And I think that's a really interesting take on a movie that doesn't explicitly comment on itself while you're watching it but certainly is trying to take some sort of at least strange approach to some of the material that we've covered on Wild in the Streets so far. Any thoughts on that, Liam, before we uh, take our break and come back and talk about Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man? I think that we're going to get into it here, Doug, but I, I think that we both realized at certain points in the movie that what we were watching had at least a critical eye towards the genre. And I think right. that um, that <laughs> really is something I only got when I actually watched it, because skimming it, I could I could not pick that up. I could not pick the tone up, which I think really informs a lot of how you can interpret this movie. Let us take a break. When we return, we're going to dive into one of the stranger uh, examples of your crime that we've looked at so far. 1976's Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. When you were tested for the special squad, every test revealed that your traits are criminal. But that's what you need to fight crime. Yeah. What I can't explain is why you two, with your characteristics, applied for the police at all. Fred and Tony are members of an elite special squad of police in Rome, Italy, who are licensed to kill undercover cops who thrive on living dangerously. It's Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man from 1976, a.k.a. Uomini Si Nasce Polizia Si Muore, also known as The Terminators in the UK, and The Summertime Killer Part 2 in parts of Asia. Uh, directed, of course, by Ruggiero Diodato. We talked about his career in some detail on the most recent episode of Wild in the Streets. A very, uh, he passed away recently, but obviously very famous for his uh, cannibal movies in particular, uh, and uh, sp specifically Cannibal Holocaust. But he also had a lengthy career that included such titles as Raiders of Atlantis, Cut and Run, Body Count, and of course Liam's favorite, The Barbarians. In Roberto Curdy's book, he gives a little bit of a more lengthy description of the, the uh, plot. just want to go into that briefly. Alfredo and Antonio, the members of a SWAT team in Rome whose existence is known only to a few, do not arrest offenders. They kill them. <laughs> the two ruthless cops devote themselves to hunting Roberto Pasquini, a.k.a. Bibi, a ferocious criminal and owner of gambling dens who for five years has slipped through their fingers with the help of a corrupt inspector. Finally, after killing four of his henchmen, Alfredo and Antonio discover Bibi's secret hideout. However, they are caught by the villain and would have ended up dead if it wasn't for the timely intervention of their boss. You may have noticed, uh, keen listeners, that the names of the leads in this description are Alfredo and Antonio. That's their names in the uh, subtitled versions on the dubbed It's Fred and Tony. Liam and I, I think we, you watched the subtitled one, uh, same as myself? Oh, yes. 
Uh, and this was written by Fernando De Leo, very uh, well-known name in Eurocrime field. We've talked about him several times before, uh, including as the director and writer of Madness, which is certainly not uh, one of the better examples of his work. We're actually going to be covering a lot more of his work in the future, including on the very next episode. Uh, starring Mark Perel as Alfredo slash Fred, Ray Lovelock as Antonio slash Tony. We, of course, uh, just saw Ray Lovelock in our most recent episode on Emergency Squad. And James Bond villain Adolfo Seeley as The Captain. Liam, a sequel was planned for this movie, but our two leads did not get along, apparently, so it never came to be. But I sort of wish it did, because I'm just going to give away my thoughts right off the top. I thought this movie was amazing in all sorts of different levels. Amazing in terms of its entertainment value. Uh, This is just the wildest movie that we've covered on Wild in the Streets so far. But also because of what it's may or may not be trying to say. It does not show its hand very clearly outside of some very exaggerated and and ridiculous moments, but uh, the reading of it as being satirical, I was uh, certainly like halfway through, I was like, is it, is it meant to be a satire on this genre? And then certain things happen that kind of reinforced it to me. But before we get into some of those things, let me, uh, let me ask you, what did you think of Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man? I mean, yeah, let me start off not with the higher level brain, but with a lower level brain and just say, (laughs) yeah, it's so much fun. It is so much fun. And that it manages, I think, to have a bit of a satirical critique of the genre, but is still entertaining, right? It's not detached from the visceral things that you kind of enjoy about these movies while still exaggerating them to an intentional degree to make it seem somewhat ridiculous, right? And so... uh, Um, You know, when I was thinking about this movie for our marathon and I was sort of uh, screening it and whatever, I read a few capsule reviews that mentioned this whole idea that it's somewhat satirical, that it's criticizing the genre maybe, or at least poking fun at their genre. And I didn't get that vibe with the little bit I was watching here and there. But sitting through it, you really understand how... um, how heightened the things are that we're seeing. Uh, one of the first sequences, there's a, a, a woman's purse is stolen by two men on a motorcycle. Uh-huh. And our two leads, uh, I guess apparently, we find out later they knew this was going to happen. But in the movie, it seems like they just see it and they chase after them. One of them gets a second motorcycle. So they, while well, we've been treated, by the way, to a long, beautiful shot of them riding through Rome together on this motorcycle uh, as these two beautiful cherubic young men. Uh, but we soon learn that these beautiful. That's their usual way, by the way. Like they don't ride around in a police car. They patrol or they do their work sharing a motorcycle together, which is a little unusual. Well, it's not just that they're on this motorcycle together. The way that they're filmed is like this is a romantic film. This is their love story, you know? Absolutely. One of them is always over the shoulder of the other one. Like it's always uh, this – you see both of them kind of in profile that way. So anyways, we get this beautiful long sequence over the credits of them riding through Rome, these two beautiful young men, very fashionable, on their motorcycle. They see this crime. They chase after these guys, and they are relentless. They, the, 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 These men cannot get away from them. And then finally there's a crash, and one of the men is impaled on the motorcycle. The other one goes through the top of this truck, and uh, the uh, darker hair of the two cops goes to check on him. And when he realizes the, the man is not yet dead, he snaps his neck, <laughs> cruelly snaps his neck. And you're just thinking, whoa, that was intense. Like, these men definitely hurt that woman. I mean, she might be dead. Yeah. Baseball. But they, and they killed the dog. 
Yeah, and they did. They killed a dog. So in a scene that also started to make me think, is this serious? Like, what are we supposed <laughs> to think of this? Uh, and, and then he kills this guy. And then at the end of the bike, he says to his partner, how was yours? And he goes, I was dead when I got there. And he says, mine needed a little help. <laughs> and at that moment, I thought, wait a minute. I think maybe this movie's doing something here. Uh, and it just goes from there where it becomes more and more clear that these two young police officers on the special squad, they're just glorified hitmen. They murder yeah, they're people. psychotic is what they, they are. They are psychotic <laughs> young men who murder people. Uh, and there's a number of places where we see how ridiculous they are. And it's not just their love for each other, which seems to be a, a big theme in the movie, or the fact that they uh, must always look proper and beautiful before they murder various uh, criminals for for like no reason, right? Uh, uh, at one point, they assassinate an entire gang of <laughs> bank robbers before they can rob a bank, and then we get a, a a sequence of them looking beautiful on the motorcycle together as they observe their handiwork, having shot all of these men uh, surreptitiously, you know, out in public, right? Um, now, now go into a little more detail on that because yes. it is just an unbelievable sequence where so our, yeah, please, yeah. They've already gotten in trouble now because uh, one of their partners – so these men never – no one in the squad does any police work. They no. pay informants, and occasionally the informants give them useful information, and they go and they kill people, basically. <laughs> uh, and one of these uh, – one of their uh, uh, coworkers is given information by an informant. That information is apparently unreliable because the big bad guy, the boss dude, shows up with his men and murders this cop outside of the police station. And before that, the cop had given his these two his two beautiful coworkers the the address of a gambling den, and so these guys decide they got to do something about this murder, right? But what they decide to do is not go and break up the gambling den or get evidence <laughs> they can use against this mob guy. They go to the gambling den, they cover all of the fancy cars in gasoline, they tie up the two uh, car attendants who just seem like normal guys. They don't yep. seem like criminals per se, and they burn all the cars and these two men alive and then just like run off into the night like they are you know huckleberry finn and tom sawyer you know aha i guess we gotta walk home now because we lit up all the cars it's fucking insane and that's like the second big action scene in the movie so they're in trouble they're you know the the, the their boss who Acts like he hates them because he's always getting them in trouble, but then also doesn't seem to ever punish them for all the shit no. they do. He obviously still loves them and yeah. wants them. To, and like that that's something that was mentioned in that little bit from Roberto Curdy, right? The idea that they say explicitly, it's like, I thought you hired us because we're violent. And it's just like, well, I guess that's what happened there. They are literally psychopaths. And that's why they've been hired into this yeah. special squad so where he, they have like no overhead whatsoever. None, no, no oversight. No one is paying attention yeah. to them. So he says, we've got a tip that this gang that you all know, everyone in the gang, <laughs> they're going to rob this bank. And they go, but you guys can't go. You're not allowed to go. I'm giving it to other people. But then he talks about all the details, and he, in a very large handwriting, writes down all the details on a piece of paper, which they kind of, like, observe in a way that's supposed to be, like, secret. And it's really fucking clear that it's not secret. And they that, even explicitly you know, say, oh, we'll just get some coffee at the place next to the We're going to get coffee thing. at the place where they're going to do the thing. So they go. They find these guys. And instead of, like, stopping them or, like – warning the bank they just put fucking silencers on their guns and go around murdering every member of the gang and i get you know in the context of a police movie sometimes when cops kill criminals we don't think of it as murder right 
But these criminals, they are criminals, have not yet done the crime. They're yes, not. It's, it's before the crime. Most of them have not even started to do the crime. In fact, only two of them start to do the crime out of the six of them. By the time the two guys start to do the crime, the other four people are all dead. And these guys also get murdered. And then instead of just like disappearing, they get on their bike and they very like showy, showily ride the motorcycle slowly through the crowd so they can observe all the dead men and look beautiful while they're doing it. Uh, Remember how it starts where it's just that there's a guy sitting in a car? And one of the cops goes up to him. He's like, hey. And the guy looks up and he just shoots him right shoots in, him the in the face. face. He's got to see his face before he shoots him in the face, Doug. That's an important part of the cop process. That's what cops do. They just straight up slaughter these guys who, again, some of them may have never done any criminal activity because they never had an opportunity to do it. Yeah, it's 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 insane. And so, like, it, you know, the action is very exciting. Uh, and there's one sequence we're going to spend some time talking about in a little bit. But I think there's a sense in which if you're paying attention to these action sequences, it really feels like this is heightened to the extent that it must be somewhat silly. And right. then there are two parts that I think are worth talking about that I think really highlight that. One is the ending. So I think we'll get there last and, instead of talking about the ending sure. right away. Mm-hmm. But I think when we talk about this ending, it'll really put the the cherry <laughs> on the on the on the ice cream uh, to, the, the, that this is all supposed to be ridiculous. But another thing that doesn't have to do with the action is the sexuality here. So, I, you know, I'm not exaggerating. This isn't like a, an RRR thing where these guys are just friends. And because they're such close friends, maybe we read it as somewhat homoerotic, but we know that it wasn't intended to be that way. The way that they film these guys is like romantic. Like if they are constantly over each other's shoulder. They're being filmed together in ways that are very beautiful. They live together. All their time is spent together. But they also are often performing a kind of heterosexuality where they are talking about sex, hitting on women. Sure. And there's this gag, Doug, that I think has to be intentional. And thus, if it is intentional, says, Ayo, this movie is taking the piss. And it is that, you know, the first time we see them interact with the secretary of their boss. They are flirting with her, and they say to her, "Which one of us would you have sex with?" Yeah, right. The flirting, in big yeah. They, okay. They're let's, basically let's, like, let, "Let me be." Let which me one be, of us are you going to yeah. have sex? With? Let's let's be twenty twenty three about this. They are basically sexually harassing this woman, and rather than being either uh, offended or turned on, she is matter of fact. Oh, I would have sex with both of you. And they're like, oh, yeah. And they want to turn that into a joke about her being, I don't know, some some negative misogynist term. But she's really clear. She's like, yeah, this is true for every lady. No man can satisfy us. All of you get tired long before we're satisfied. We are a vast ocean of orgasms, and you could not possibly satisfy us. I would have sex with both of you and all of your friends, and it wouldn't even get close to, to wearing me out. Meanwhile, you would get tired after one round, and that's just the reality. The only reason... Uh, women settle for men, and you know we can asterisk this heterosexual women. Is sure. uh, it's because we fall in love with you. We fall in love with you, and that love makes us, you know, basically s- put up with it. Yeah, we right? set we settle for you, and they try to laugh it off. And I think if you are less inclined to believe what she's saying, you might see them laughing it off as like, oh, they don't believe her, and she's just being saucy. But I think the actors are making it really clear that they're a little intimidated by what she's just said, you know? Like, they're laughing about it, but they're also a little like, <laughs> Then we get a scene that is kind of fucked up. It kind of feels like it's going to become one of the more gross scenes in these Polizia Tetchi movies. Sure. Where they find the sister of the big boss, and she, they, the one character attacks her. 
And it seems like he's going to assault her. But she is like, oh, is that what you want? Because let's do this thing. And you, you think like, oh, okay, whatever. And her caretaker starts to talk about how she's fully aware that this police officer is in there having sex with this woman that she takes care of. I, they never say her age. I'm worried she's a little young. That might be a problem. But they never say. So I'm going to assume she's just early 20s. Let's just go with that because it makes me feel less gross. I mean, the villain looks pretty old in this. Yeah, so yeah, his yeah. sister could be. I mean, it, you're yeah, right. Yeah. I think I, it's not something I was considering, but certainly it's hard not to consider all possibilities yes, in yes, movies yes. of this era. But the joke still plays out where the 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 caretaker woman she is not in there to defend this young girl's honor she no. knows this this girl needs to get laid and both of these cops are going to need needed for the task because what literally happens is she has sex with both of them in a not very explicit way and uh and uh they both walk away sore and tired they literally look like they just <laughs> ran a marathon and yes it's like a goofy gag and it could be even be played as a misogynistic gag but i think it's a gag when combined with the earlier thing to show that while these these two guys are walking around like they're the king of the worlds and the masters of sex they are not they are just normal dudes in the bedroom and it kind of makes the part where the movie films them like they're two lovers even more suspect because i think i don't know that it's a complicated take on it but it is a take on their masculinity and I think sure. that that's meant to relate to the masculinity of these movies you know Polizia Tetsu movies tend to be about two things they're about vengeance and justice and the police state uh, in a positive or negative way and they're about the men of the movies and whether that's the men seducing women or attacking women or proving that they're more violent than the other men around them there's a lot of fucking uh, performative masculinity in these movies, Doug. Yeah, very and I much think so. I think this movie is mocking that. You know, again, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's 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 mocking it from a feminist way, but it is mocking it from a way of these people are ridiculous. This shit is ridiculous, and I I love that part, and I think it really helped me read the rest of the movie that that was part of the movie. Well, the thing that helped me read the rest of the movie, Liam, is uh, a particular sequence. It's so good. It's so fucking good. <laughs> Where our two leads, Alfredo and Antonio. Even though at this point the basically the the walls are closing in on them, the the, the villain Pasquini knows who they are and what what they look like, are following them around, and what they decide to do is to blow off a little steam in a quarry by practicing their their gunplay on a few cans. So they set up these cans on either side of this quarry, and you're like, well, that's not too abnormal, you know? They're just shooting cans, but what they do instead is they start. Rolling around on each side, shooting basically at each other, like literally within inches of each other, laughing, getting on, rolling around, shooting every time they shoot, they hit a can, no problem whatsoever. Just this like Wild West ridiculous shootout where they're shooting literally at each other. And while that's happening, we see some of Pasquini's men there. They have arrived at this quarry to assassinate our two leads. These men have them dead to rights, should be no trouble at all murdering them. They miss with every shot that they take. Our two leads, they 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 they're like they seem like frightened, but then every shot that they shoot back at these villains, they hit every single time, kill every single one of them, no trouble whatsoever. I mean, it really reinforces the idea that these two lead, lead characters, they're like uh, it, it's almost supernaturally protected. Like there's no way they could even be hurt, and that's reinforced by the ending of the movie as well. That sequence is so over the top and funny and ridiculous that I was like, you know what? There's no way that this is meant to be taken totally seriously. 
Yeah, it's it's it it's not done in a way where the action isn't fun, but no rational human is watching these two guys roll around in a fucking quarry shooting at each other like, yeah, that's what cops do. That's a normal thing that police do. And it and it really highlights that these guys do no police work. They are not interested in investigating anything. They are interested in looking sexy and murdering people. And that's it. And this practice thing is is part of that. And then the fact that here are multiple shooters with shotguns surprising them it doesn't fucking matter man they're gonna shoot them all they're all gonna die (laughs) these men are magic and that again as we said it makes the ending even that much more ridiculous because they are so easily tricked (laughs) and only saved through the most ridiculous deus ex machina that it really does feel like the whole thing is a long fucking joke and the and the ending is almost like a punchline to the movie and and again not in like an airplane way but in a really sort of fun poking fun at this genre way that i like it's it's magical doug i really love it and and for me one of the points where i really like fell in love with the performances of these two guys is this sequence that you're talking about because they really sell this whole I saw four, I saw three. All right, yeah, here we right. go. You know, bam, 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 bam. It's <laughs> it's just the dumbest shit. And they're selling it. Again, I guess this is would make it almost like a little bit campy, right? Because they're not winking at the camera. They're taking it very seriously, but also in a way that's utterly ridiculous, you know? Yeah. They're showing off in a way that only they can see. <laughs> <laughs> putting both of their lives in danger at the same time. But, it, I mean, it does reinforce that idea, you know, that that, that they are like a thuggish gang members, right? Just like the, the Clockwork Orange characters, where it's like, they're just thrill seekers. They, the fact that they're doing it under the guise of the law doesn't even really make a difference because, they, you know, killing people, there's obviously no, it's not like there's PTSD or any struggle. It's not like uh, Franco Nero in Street Law with all their struggles. These, these guys have no trouble whatsoever, just laugh and smile all the way through it, just fighting and fucking and killing and that's just their lives they do they have no worries at all even when they're walking into obvious traps which is what happens please really quick again i know we don't necessarily want to just highlight every single action sequence but it's worth mentioning there's a hostage situation (laughs) where three men have a woman hostage it's unclear what the fuck the men were even doing in her house but they have her hostage they're surrounded by the police the uh, our heroes (laughs) Tony and Fred, Alfredo and uh, Antonio, they just want to murder these guys, and they, they, they're they not going to be allowed to do it. So they say to the person who's running this thing, get a helicopter. They'll never see it coming, right? Of course they yeah. see it coming. It's a motherfucking helicopter. And they can hear that. Yeah. And the whole point of the helicopter was just to distract both the, host- the, the hostage takers, the kidnappers, whatever you want to say, and – the other police so that they could set themselves up to rush in and murder them. So the men see the helicopter, they freak out. Oh my God. Oh my God. And these guys are sweating. They are the most nervous hostage takers who've ever lived. Yes. They are. They do not have their shit together. They're like back in the house. They go back in the house and this motherfucker rides his motorcycle through a glass door and just starts shooting people. One of which clearly surrenders this guy holds his hands up and goes don't kill me don't kill me i surrender and my man shoots him three times you know he didn't even need to shoot this guy a time and he shoots him multiple times before they take out the person who's holding the woman who just happens to like never shoot the woman during this whole extended shooting in this in the house it is clearly like we all we want to do is shoot these guys and we'll do whatever it takes to make that happen i like the idea that 
like all the the crimes that these gentlemen are solving out that we do not see in the movie are all like just minor things like jaywalking and they're just murdering people on the street because it's just like it's it seems like it doesn't matter what the criminal enterprise is if you're a gambler you gotta die or at the very least you need to be horrifically tortured it's just everyone needs to be punished in some sort of horrible way and that does lead into the ending where they manage to find pasquini because of a gambler who Pasquini has ripped the eyeball out of because he owes him so much money. Ripped his eyeball out. Ripped his eyeball. And in fact, originally there was a scene where he steps on the eyeball afterwards, but it was cut because it was too violent. And uh, so our cops basically offered to give the guy the money that he owes to Pasquini if he, you know, basically helps lead them to where Pasquini is. And where Pasquini is sometimes is a boat. And even though it's obvious that Pasquini would be... A, a, like suspicious of this gambler showing up with all of his money. The gambler guy tells him that he got the money by winning it at this other illegal casino, which Pasquini is very interested in because he doesn't want anyone nosing in on his territory. So that is the way that this gambler guy is going to find Pasquini. The gambler guy tells the guy, tells Pasquini where this, uh, uh, this uh, casino is, which is of course just an empty building. The cops know that he's already checked it out, but they go to the boat anyway and what they discover, well, what they don't discover, is uh, when they go to the boat, the a woman that has been spending his time with Pasquini and his men is there. But Pasquini himself is nowhere to be found. So what they decide to do is just stay on the boat. Not even stay on top of the boat, to go into the boat and just hang out, just in case Pasquini happens to show up. But what is Pasquini doing otherwise, Liam? So... Pasquini is in a nearby building. One they could have easily searched before they entered Absolutely. the boat. Uh, and he's got one of those cartoon plunger things that yeah. is probably attached to dynamite in the boat. And he's yes. just ready. He's like, all right, all right, they're on the boat. It's time to blow up the boat. And bada bing, bada boom, their boss shows up and shoots Pasquini and his henchmen. He fucking comes in and saves their asses. So they, yeah, they he shoots him in the head. Now, even it, though we it, didn't, it, we, we didn't know that he, that the boss knew about this the no. whole thing. And if someone did know about this, I mean, wouldn't it make sense to surround this entire area with tons of cops since this is someone they've been looking for for oh years? My, oh my god. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about. There's a few parts about this that are ridiculous. One, Pasquini has this woman that he has, according to the dialogue, had shipped him from Sweden. Yes. I don't know what the fuck that means, but she just she has a cardigan on and no shirt. And she's just walking around with her, you know, her sweater on and her boobies out. And yeah. uh, he leaves her on the boat, which means he's going to blow up this poor Swedish woman. But right before we see that Pasquini is obviously waiting for them, our two heroes are basically about to assault this woman. I mean, it might not be assault. She might want to have sex with two random men holding guns. I don't know. But it, it, it's it's nailing home the idea that these men are monsters. They are yeah. ridiculous monsters. And it's about to cost them their lives. Uh, and instead, their boss shows up, this guy who supposedly doesn't want them to go around murdering people. He murders Pasquini and his henchmen, <laughs> drives off, and it gets this ridiculous scene after uh, our two, you know, Fredo and, and, and Antonio come out. He gets to say to them, you know, oh, you're lucky I was here, blah, 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 and, and drives <laughs> off. And they realize that uh, they were so busy trying to uh, 
you know, uh, attack this woman, that they almost got killed. Then they look at the plunger and they give each other this like mischievous little boy look and they just push the plunger down and blow up the boat. And the last shot of the movie is a little toy model boat in a puddle being fucking blown up. And it's just like. It's such a fucking car- Doug, this is the wily coyote of police movie endings. Like this is this is some fucking it's like it's like it's like someone was watching Tom and Jerry and reading uh Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn or one of those fucking books or or maybe watching a movie with like two two buddies or whatever. It's the most winky winky thing ever as an ending and it really says to me you can't take this movie totally at face value. That there is something more ridiculous going on here. Because I just don't believe that the guy who made this movie, who all of his movies are fun, but they also have a bit of like a clever thoughtfulness to them. There's a the subversiveness ones. to a lot of yeah. these movies. And, and so Fernando I think, de Leo is obviously someone who knows this genre inside and out. So I think there has to be a, a certain amount of piss taking when you take all of these elements we've been talking about in, in together. And this ending, I fucking loved it, man. I thought it was great. We should note that both the uh, person who led them to the ship and the woman got off the boat before they blew it up. Though they yes, did not see yes. this happen necessarily. No, so. I, who knows if they even know? I mean, <laughs> even the plan, right? Like, this is a man who has been in debt so long that he's had his eye ripped out. We're just going to give him all the money he owes the boss and tell him to go pay the boss and tell the boss this whole thing about there's another gambling den and blah, blah, blah. And that'll work. And it's like, of course the shit's not. This is a man who doesn't have a home. Because he doesn't want the police to find him. He right. does most of his meetings on a public bus so that they don't know where he's at. But yeah, he's just going to be on this boat waiting for you, you fucking idiots. It, it couldn't be any better than if even if the boss was like, now boys, don't blow up that boat. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> it's just like, oh well, might as well destroy it. I mean, it is, it is such a wild decision to end this movie on. But yeah, it is... It is not like a comedy. When you watch it, it is not a comedic movie in any way, shape, or form. It's just very over the top and and puts our characters, which again, if we have not made this clear already, these extremely homoerotic characters in these increasingly wild and bizarre situations, which just allow them to kill indiscriminately. And it and it, it's either it's either a horrific, offensive example of the kind of movies we cover on this, or it's a parody or a satire or some sort of of piss take on it and you, you from what i've watched of of this genre so far you have to interpret it that way i mean when i get to that Corey scene i'm like yeah. no one you cannot be taking this serious if it was just the murder then you could maybe see someone who just likes violence making this yeah. movie and there's no criticism but when you take into account the other parts of the movie the way that they bring the same plant to the secretary every time they go in to try to <laughs> flirt with her because it's you know again this movie it's not a criticism of manhood generally it is i think mocking the way that men are portrayed in these movies and kind of showing these guys as somehow uh over performing their heterosexuality while also being two beautiful men who really just want to be around each other right uh but if you are interested in deconstructing performative masculinity uh, you know within this context this movie gives you a lot of fucking fodder here these guys they are the perfect example to me of yeah you know in theory like we seduce women that's a thing that we do but also like we just want to be together and we don't really and and even to the extent that like 
they talk a, a big game. You know, they even make jokes to their uh, housekeeper that her her uh, niece used to come and they seduced her niece. You know, and it's like this whole thing about how whatever, whatever. But we we have to see them not actually trying, right? Like part of their masculinity is you have to be seductive to women without actually ever putting any effort into like yeah. seducing yeah, yeah. women. You know, it's like part of the the version of masculinity that they want to have. And I think because it is doing that much, again, I don't I wouldn't say from a feminist angle, this isn't like a Judith Butler movie or something, but it is <laughs> it is a movie where they know there's a certain kind of character that popularizes these movies and we're gonna make fun of that. And and these guys are the perfect example, not just in their sexuality or their uh, the way that they're filmed, but even in their look, right? Like, the guy is always wearing a fucking neckerchief. The other dude has sunglasses on at the worst possible times, like times where he really needs to be able to see what the fuck he's doing. He's got cool shades on. Like, I'm not even sure we mentioned they live together, by the way. They, oh, they, yeah. They don't just work together. They live together. They're walking around in their bikini underwear together. I mean, that's – they're just – they're hanging out. That's what they're doing. <laughs> and I think that, again, it's it's all meant, I think, to kind of make fun of these kind of movies. And, uh, and again, I don't know that it has a deeper layer of analysis than that. But if you're interested in that sort of thing, it, it's a fun watch where you could really ask yourself, like, oh, man, what is going on with these guys? And, and, and what is going on with these guys that, like – this is the thing that we're sort of like mocking, you know? Uh, but also, I love it. Like, their performance is great. They really know. There are so many moments where they're acting a certain way, but they're they're also portraying a little bit of vulnerability, you know? Uh, and other times where they really are taking joy in their cruelty. These are two cruel young men. Oh, two, yeah. Two cruel little angel men who are walking around looking beautiful and murdering people, and they know it, and they're living into it, and they're having fun with it. Liam, any final thoughts on Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man? Would you recommend it? It's a must-watch for me, in my mind. It's, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think for someone for whom uh, – there are some of these movies we've talked about, and we'll talk about more, that are very serious, right? They're not just cashing in on the on the genre. Some of them really do have something on their minds about – the police state or about crime or about justice. And some of those movies, what they have in their mind is something I love. And some of those movies, what they have in their mind is maybe something I hate. Right. But they take this very seriously. I could see some people who love those movies and how seriously they're handling these subjects in either direction. They might find this movie a little bit of a bummer because it's not taking the bigger issues very seriously. I don't think right Mm -hmm. that. So there is some caution there. But I think most people are going to find this utterly ridiculous and fun and really appreciate the way that the movie is, I think, poking a stick at the genre while still doing the genre well. It's not it's not it's not silly. It's not goofy. It does exaggerate, but it exaggerates in a way while still executing some great action sequences and really featuring some fun bits here and there while also being psychotic and you know, uh, uh, a, a bit, um, a bit nihilistic in a way, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's the way I put it as well. I mean, this is the kind of movie that I was hoping that we'd be watching when we first started this podcast, you know, things that are the, where the action is over the top, but I didn't really think we'd find something that is also kind of subversive on top of that. You know, we've voiced many times our concerns regarding the idea of like the fascistic cops and things like that. The, the idea of, of a movie that takes it so over the top like this, 
I just didn't think we would necessarily see this. It's certainly, you know, in the midst of, of this genre being so popular as well. So, yeah, highly recommended. Uh, you can currently get a uh, this movie on Blu-ray in uh, in North America uh, via Kino Lorber. We'll leave a, a link for that in the show notes today if you want to pick up a copy. Liam, on the next episode of Wild in the Streets, we will be checking out another listed classic, uh, directed, of course, by Fernando De Leo, starring Woody Strode, Henry Silva, and once again, Adolfo Sealy. It's 1972's The Italian Connection. Uh, the plot is a Milanese pimp is pursued by and then pursues a pair of New York hitmen and the gangsters who framed him for stealing a shipment of heroin. Uh, Liam, have you ever checked out The Italian Connection before? Never have, Doug. Never have. I know it's one of the movies we're covering that people probably know or have heard of the most. I've never gotten a chance to see it. Me either. Very much looking forward to it. We've uh, seen Henry Silva uh, previously before uh, as a cop, uh, but this is, a uh, uh, you know... He, he's known in this genre for his villainous roles. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I love Woody Strode. Very much excited to check out 1972's The Italian Connection on the next episode of Wild in the Streets. Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of Wild in the Streets or other wonderful podcasts, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, of course, Doug, they can follow Cinepunks on social media, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if they head over to the Cinepunk site, uh, again, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, uh, they'll find not just this podcast, but uh, new episodes from a whole host of podcasts, whether that's The Tomb of Ideas, Twitch of the Death Nerve, Carnage Report, Fat Girl Hacks, Horror Business, just a bunch of fun shows over there for you to check out, enjoy, and maybe tell your friends about. Uh, Cinepunks also has a Patreon where we have regular Patreon content. Uh, that's patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. And we have a Discord. If you're interested in the Discord, feel free to hit up either Cinepunks or Cinema Smorgasbord on social media or shoot us an email. Uh, and Cinema Smorgasbord, we have our own website, Doug, where we have an archive of all of our shows and topics here uh, where we just, we you know, we cycle through a lot of topics here at Cinema Smorgasbord. And you can find whatever specific one you're looking for at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Those topics include such diverse uh, actors and directors as the careers of Carol Kane, Steve Buscemi, Jackie Chan, Alejandro Jodorowsky, Paul Bartel, many more over at cinemasmorgasbord.com or on Twitter at cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. You can also follow Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules, that's R-U-L-Z. I'm on there as well at Doug underscore Tilly, that's T-I-L-L-E-Y. But for now, Liam, um, we need to let our blood pressure settle for a little bit. We're going to be back very soon with the Italian connection from 1972. Good night, everyone. Night, night.